Section one of the Visits of Elizabeth. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. The Visits of Elizabeth by Eleanor Glynn. Naseby Hall. It was perhaps a fortunate thing for Elizabeth that her ancestors went back to the conquest, and that she numbered at least two countesses and a duchess among her relatives. Her father had died some years ago, and her mother being an invalid, she had lived a good deal abroad. But at about seventeen, Elizabeth began to pay visits among her kinsfolk. It was after arriving at Naseby Hall, for a cricket week, that she first wrote home. Naseby Hall, 26th July Dearest Mamma, I got here all right, without even a smut on my face, for Agnes tied me up in the brougham before we arrived at the gate. The dust in the train was horrid. It is a nice house. They were at tea when I was ushered in. It was in the hall. I suppose it was because it was so windy outside. There seemed to be a lot of people there, and they all stopped talking suddenly and stared at me as if I were a new thing in the zoo, and then, after a minute, went on with their conversations at the point they had left off. Lady Cecilia pecked my cheek and gave me two fingers, and asked me, in a voice right up at the top, how were you? I said you were better, and you know what you told me to say. She murmured something while she was listening to what a woman with a sweet frock and green eyes was saying at the other end of the table. There were heaps of tea. She waved vaguely for me to sit down, which I did. But there was a footstool near, and it was half dark, so I fell over that, but not very badly, and got safely to my seat. Lady Cecilia, continuing her conversation across the room all the time, poured out a cup of tea, with lumps and lumps of sugar in it, and lots of cream, just what you would give to a child for a treat, and she handed it to me. But I said, oh, please, Lady Cecilia, I don't take sugar. She has such bulgy eyes, and she opened them wide at me, perfectly astonished, and said, oh, then please ring the bell. I don't believe there is another clean cup. Everybody stopped talking again and looked at me, and the green-eyed lady giggled. And I rang the bell, and this time didn't fall over anything, and so presently I got some tea. Just as I was enjoying such a nice cake and watching all the people, quite a decent man came up and sat down behind me. Lady Cecilia had not introduced me to anybody, and he said, Have you come a long way? And I said, Yes. And he said, It must have been dusty in the train. And I said it was. And he was beginning to say something more when the woman with the green ass said, Harry, do hand me the cucumber sandwiches. And so he had to get up, and just then Sir Trevor came in, and he was glad to see me. He is a jolly soul, and he said I was eight when he last saw me, and seemed quite surprised I had grown any taller since just as though people could stay at eight. Then he patted my cheek and said, You're a beauty, Elizabeth. And Lady Cecilia's eyes bulged at him a good deal, and she said to me, Wouldn't you like to see your room? And I said I wasn't a bit in a hurry, but she took me off, and here I am. And I am going to wear my pink silk for dinner, and will finish this by and by. 12.30. Well, I have had dinner, and I found out a good many of their names. They mostly arrived yesterday. The woman with the green eyes is Mrs. de Yorberg-Smith. I am sure she is a pig. The quite decent man, Harry, is a Marquis, the Marquis of Valmond, because he took Lady Cecilia in to dinner. He is playing with the Naseby Eleven. There is a woman I like, with stick-out teeth. Her name is Mrs. Vavasseur. She knows you, and she is awfully nice, though so plain, and she never looks either over your head or all up and down or talks to you when she is thinking of something else. There are heaps more women, and the eleven men. 
so we are a party of about twenty-five, but you will see their names in the paper. Such a bore took me in. He began about the dust again, but I could not stand that, so I said that everyone had already asked me about it. So he said, oh, and went on with his soup. At the other side was another of the eleven, and he said, did I like cricket? And I said, no, I hated always having to field, which was what I did, you know, when I played with the Bairn boys at Biarritz. And I asked him if he was a good player, and he said no. So I said I supposed he always had to feel too, then. And he said no, that sometimes they allowed him a bat. And so I said I was sure that wasn't the same game I played. And he laughed as if I had said something funny. His name is Lord George Lane. And the other one laughed too, and they both looked idiots. And so I did not say any more about that. But we talked on all the time, and everyone else seemed to be having such fun. And they all called each other by pet names and shortened up all their adjectives. It is adjectives, I mean, not adverbs. I am sure you made a mistake in what you told me, that all well-bred people behave nicely at dinner and sit up, because they don't a bit. Lots of them put their elbows on the table, and nearly all sat anyhow in their chairs. Only Lady Cecilia and Mrs. Vavasour behaved like you, but then they are both quite old, over forty. They all talk about things that no stranger could understand, but I dare say I shall pick it up presently. And after dinner, in the drawing-room, Lady Cecilia did introduce me to two girls, the Ruse girls, you know. Well, Lady Jane is the best of the two. Lady Violet is a lump. They both poke their heads, and Jane turns in her toes. They have rather the look in their eyes of people with tight boots. Violet said, do you bicycle? And I said, yes, sometimes. And she said with a big gasp, Jane and I adore it. We have been ten miles since tea with Captain Winchester and Mr. Wertz. I did not think that interesting, but still we talked. They asked me a stack of questions, but did not wait for the answers much. Mr. Wertz is the African millionaire. He does not play cricket, and when the men came in afterwards, he crossed over to us, and Jane introduced him to me when he had talked a little. He is quite a sort of gentleman, and is very much at home with everyone. He laughed at everything I said. Mrs. Smith, such bosh putting the yorber on, sat on a big sofa with Lord Valmont, and she opened and shut her eyes at him. And Jane Roose says she takes everyone's friends away. And Lord George Lane came up, and we talked, and he wasn't such an idiot as at dinner, and he has nice teeth. All the rest, except the Rooses and me, are married, the women, I mean, except Miss Latouche. But she's just the same, because she sits with the married lot, and they all chat together, and Violet Roose says she is a cat, but I think she looks nice. She is so pretty, and her hair is done at the right angle, because it is like Agnes does mine, and she has a nice scent on, and I hope it won't rain tomorrow, and good night, dear mamma, your affectionate daughter, Elizabeth. P.S. Jane Rue says Miss Latouche will never get married, she is too smart, and all the married women's men talk to her, and that the best tone is to look rather dowdy, but I don't believe it, and I would rather be like Miss Latouche. E. Elizabeth received an immediate reply to her letter, and the next one began. Naseby Hall, 28th July. Dearest Mamma, I am sorry you find I use bad grammar and write incoherently, and you don't quite approve of my style. But if you see, it is just because I am in a hurry. I don't speak it, but if I must stop to think of grammar and that, I should never get on to tell you what I am doing here. So do, dear Mamma, try and bear it bravely. Well, everybody came down to breakfast yesterday in a hat, and everyone was late. That is, everyone who came down at all. The rest had theirs upstairs. The cricket began, and it was really a bore. 
We sat in a tent and all the nice men were fielding, it is always like that, and the married lot sat together and talked about their clothes, and Lady Doraine read a book. She is pretty too, but has big ears. Her husband is somewhere else, but she does not seem to miss him, and the Roosters told me her hair used to be black, and that they have not a penny in the world. So I think she must be clever and nice to be able to manage her clothes so well. They are perfectly lovely, and I heard her say her maid makes them. Miss Latouche happened to be next to me, so she spoke to me, and said my hat was too dv for words, the blue one you got at Caroline's. And by and by we had lunch, and at lunch Lord Valmont came and sat by me, and saw Mrs. Smith did too, and she gushed at me. He seemed rather put out by something, I suppose it was having to field all the time, and she talked to him across me, and she called him Harry lots of times, and she always says things that have another meaning. But they all do that, repeat each other's Christian names in a sentence, I mean. Just like you said that middle-class people did when you were young. So I am sure everything must have changed now. Well, after lunch, all the people in the country seemed to come. Some of them had driven endless miles, and we sat apart, I suppose to let them see how ordinary we thought them. And Lady Cecilia was hardly polite, and the others were more or less rude, but presently something happened, I don't know what, and the nice men had not to feel any more. Perhaps they could not stand it any longer, and so everyone who had been yawning woke up, and Mr. Wells, who had been writing letters all this time, appeared, and Lady Doraine made room for him beside her, and they talked. And when our eleven had drunk something they came and lay on the grass near us, and we had such a nice time. There is a beautiful man here, and his name is Sir Dennis Desmond, and his grandfather was an Irish king, and he talks to me all the time, and his mother looks at him and frowns. And I think it is silly of her, don't you? And if I were a man, I wouldn't visit with my mother if she frowned at me. Do you know her? She dresses as if she were as young as I am. She had a blue muslin on this morning, and her hair is red with green stripes in it, and she is all white with thick pink cheeks, and across the room she doesn't look at all bad, but close! Goodness gracious, she looks a hundred! And I would much sooner have nice white hair and a cap than look like that, wouldn't you? I'll finish this when I come to bed. 12.30 What do you think has happened? Sir Dennis sat beside me on the sofa, just as he did last night. But I forget, I have not yet told you of yesterday and last night, but never mind now, I must get on. Well, he said I was a perfect darling, but that he never could get a chance to say a word to me alone, but that if I would only drop my glove outside my door, it would be all right. And I thought that such a ridiculous thing to say, that I couldn't help laughing and Lady Cecilia happened to be passing, and so she asked me what I was laughing at, and so I told her what he had said, and asked why. There happened to be a pause just then, and as one has to speak rather loud to Lady Cecilia to attract her attention, everyone heard, and they all looked flabbergasted, and then all shrieked with laughter, and Sir Dennis said so crossly, little fool, and Lady Desmond simply glared at me, and Lady Cecilia said, really, Elizabeth, and Sir Dennis got purple in the face, and Jane Roos whispered, How could you dare with his wife listening? And everyone talked and chaffed. It was too stupid about nothing. But the astonishing part, that funny old thing I thought was the mother turns out to be his wife. Imagine, years and years older than him. Jane Roos said he had to marry her because her husband died. But I think that the most absurd reason I ever heard, don't you? Lots of people's husbands die, and they don't have to get married off again at once. So why should that ugly old thing, especially when there are such heaps of nice girls about? Jane Roos said it was honourable of him, but I call it crazy. 
unless perhaps he was a great friend of the husband's, who made him promise when he was dying, and he did not like to break his word. How he must have hated it! I wonder if he had ever met her before, or if the husband made him take her, a pig in a poke. I expect that was it, because he never could have done it if he had ever seen her. I can't think why he is so cross with me, but I am sorry, as he is such a nice man. Now I am sleepy, and it is frightfully late, so I suppose I had better get into bed. Agnes came up, and has been fussing about for the last hour. Best love from your affectionate daughter, Elizabeth. Naseby Hall, 30th July. Dearest Mamma, Yesterday was the best day we have had yet. The nice men had not to feel at all, and the stupid cricket was over at four o'clock. So and so we went into the gardens and lay in hammocks, and Miss Latouche had such nice shoes on, but her ankles are thick. The ruses told me it wasn't quite nice for girls to loll in hammocks, and they sat on chairs, that you could only do it when you were married, but I believe it is because they don't have pretty enough petticoats. Anyway, Lady Doraine and that horrid Smith creature made a place for me in the empty hammock between them, and as I knew my frillies were all right, I hammocked too, and it was lovely. Lord Valmont and Mr. Wetz were lying near, and they said agreeable things, at least I suppose so, because both of them, Lady Doraine and Mrs. Smith, looked purry purry puss puss. They asked me why I was so sleepy, and I said because I had not slept well last night, that I was sure the house was haunted. And they all screamed at me, why? And so I told them, what was really true, that in the night I heard a noise of stealthy footsteps. And as I was not frightened, I determined to see what it was, so I got up. Agnes sleeps in the dressing room, but of course she never wakes. I opened the door and peeped out into the corridor. There are only two rooms beyond mine towards the end, around the corner, and it is dimly lit all night. Well, I distinctly saw a very tall grey figure disappear round the bend of the hall. When I got thus far, everyone dropped their books and listened with rapt attention, and I could see them exchanging looks, so I am sure they know it is haunted, and were trying to keep it from me. I asked Mrs. Smith if she had seen or heard anything, because she sleeps in one of the rooms. She looked perfectly green, but she said she had not heard a sound, and had slept like a top, and that I must have dreamt it. Then Lady Doraine and everyone talked at once, and Lord Valmont asked did anyone know if the London evening papers had come. But I was not going to be put off like that, so I just said, I know you all know it is haunted, and are putting me off because you think I'll be frightened, but I assure you I am not and if I hear that noise again, I am going to rush out and see the ghost close. Then everyone looked simply a hurry, so I meant to get the ghost story out of Sir Trevor tonight after dinner. I had not a chance yesterday, as I am sure it is interesting. Mrs. Smith looked at me as if she wanted to poison me, and I can't think why especially, can you? 12 p.m. I asked Sir Trevor if the house is haunted, and he said, God bless my soul, no, and so I told him, and he nearly had a fit. So I know it is, but I am not a bit frightened. Your affectionate daughter, Elizabeth. Naseby Hall, Sunday. Dearest Mamma, Agnes and I go to Aunt Mary's by the 10.30 train tomorrow, and I am not a bit sorry, although I have enjoyed myself. And now I begin to feel quite at home with everyone, at least some of them. But such a tiresome thing happened last night. It was like this. After dinner, it was so hot that we all went out on the terrace, and as soon as we got there, Mrs. Smith and Lady Doraine and the rest said it was too cold, and went in again. But the moon was pretty, so I stayed alone, and presently Lord Valmont came out, and stood beside me. There is such a nice view, you remember, from there, and I didn't a bit want to talk. He said something, but I wasn't listening, when suddenly I did hear him say this. 
You adorable enfant terrible, come out and watch for ghosts tonight, and I will come and play the ghost, and console you if you are frightened. And he put his horrid arm right round my waist and kissed me, somewhere about my right ear, before I could realize what he was at. I was in a rage, as you can fancy, Mamma, so I just turned round and gave him the hardest slap I could, right on the cheek. He was furious and called me a little devil, and we both walked straight into the rowing room. I suppose I looked savage, and in the light I could see he had great red finger marks on his face. Anyway, Mrs. Smith, who was sitting on the big sofa near the window alone, looked up and said in an odious voice that made everyone listen, I'm afraid, Harry, you have not enjoyed cooing in the moonlight. It looks as if our sweet Elizabeth had been difficult and had boxed your ears. That made me wild, the impudence. That parvenu calling me by my Christian name. So I just lost my temper right out and said to her, It is perfectly true what you say, and I will box yours if you call me Elizabeth again. Tableau! She almost fainted with astonishment and fury. And when she could get her voice decent enough to speak, she laughed and said, What a charming savage! How ingenuous! And then Lady Cecilia did a really nice thing, which shows that she is a brick, in spite of having bulgy eyes and being absent and tiresome. She came up to me as if nothing had happened and said, Come, Elizabeth. They are waiting for you to begin a round game, and she put her arm through mine and drew me into the billiard room, and on the way she squeezed my arm and said, in a voice quite low down for her, she deserved it. And I was so touched, I nearly cried. From where I sat at the card table I could see Mrs. Smith and Lord Valmont, and they were quarrelling. She looked like a green rhubarb juice, and he had the expression of damn all over him. Of course I did not say good night to him, and I hope I shall never see him again. Your affectionate daughter, Elizabeth. End of section 1